0: Revelation chapter 22, with God's help this morning, we will be considering just one verse. Revelation chapter 22 verse 17. Hear now the reading of a word of the Lord. The Spirit and the Bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word and now to the preaching of his word. Let us pray, saints. Gracious father, son, and Holy Spirit, help us now. Help us now, Lord, to have ears that hear, that have been, uh, opened by your spirit, that have minds that understand, that have been enabled, Lord, by your spirit, Hearts that believe, Lord, that have been inflamed by your spirit, Lord, and give us grace to long for your return. Give us a holy desire to pray that you return, dear God. And we pray this even now. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Christ, let me pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, saints. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our worship through the Apocalypse of John. Saints of God, as the Holy Spirit leads the Apostle John to bring this book of visions to a close, he writes the words that will be the prayer of everyone who has been brought from death to new life. It is the prayer for all of those who were once blind, but who now can see. It is the prayer for those who were once cursed by God or once cursed by God and also who cursed God, but who are now beloved of God and who bow their hearts in worship to God. This prayer is a simple one. Uh, One does not need to know ancient Hebrew or Koine Greek. In order to pray this prayer, one does not need to know the works of Athanasius, Augustine, or Aquinas in order to pray this prayer. This prayer has been prayed ever since our risen and victorious Lord ascended into heaven. When the angels said to the disciples who watched him ascend, Men of Galilee, Acts 1, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven will come just the way you have watched him go into heaven. Ever since that moment, the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ has prayed this very simple prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. It is the prayer, the plea, the the entreaty of those who have been granted the spirit of life and who have been adopted as sons of God. Here in Revelation 22, in the the final verses of the last chapter of the canon of Scripture, the Apostle Prophet is led by the Spirit to write down, to pen down the prayer for the true saints for all time until Christ returns. It is simply this, come Lord Jesus, come. This morning with God's help we will consider just two points. Number one, the call or prayer from earth. Number one, the call or prayer from earth, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say come. Notice, John says that the spirit and the bride say come. Uh, This could also be rendered, the spirit says through the bride, come. The bride is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you know. But there is something that we have not yet considered about this, this title that we have, this title of bride. We have repeatedly been called bride throughout the book of Revelation, in spite of the reality that the consummation between bride and groom has not yet taken place. Even still, we are called bride. Meaning, the church has not yet been perfected. She has not been purified yet, completely and wholly, in order to be presented to her groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the consummation of their union has not yet taken place. So one might argue that she is not the bride, but the bride to be. But that is not the way that Christ views his bride, the church. Christ views the church in an already not yet manner. That is that Christ views the church as already being fully united to him. Christ views the church as being fully perfect Already, not because she is, but because he is. Christ views the church as already being pure, because he is pure. Christ views the bride as his bride, not a bride to be. Praise be to God for that. Christ views his bride not as potentially his, but as actually his. You know, those who are going through that that period of, of engagement. We might say they're going to get married in a year, but a lot can happen between now and then. We might say they're going to get married in a year, but who knows? Maybe they might break up. It's not the case between us and Christ. When we are united to Christ, we are fully united to Christ and there will be no breaking of this bond. Praise be to God. In the Old Testament, when one was betrothed, they were in an inchoate state of marriage. That is to say that Their being betrothed was the beginning of what would eventually be completed. But even in that inchoate stage, that did not make the betrothed any less a bride than she would be. She was cared for as if she was already married, though not yet consummated. Therefore, the betrothed, we are. We are the bride, and we are properly called the bride. We are not waiting to belong to Christ, saints of God. You belong to Christ now. We are not waiting to enjoy intimacy with God. We have intimacy with God now. We are waiting for perfect, unhindered intimacy with God. But we have it now. We will see Him face to face. But it's not to say that we don't enjoy Him now. We do. It's not to say that we don't right now, presently, partake in the divine nature. Enjoying the blessedness that we have between Father, Son, and Spirit, we share in that blessed union. We are anticipating that blessed day when all sin, all remaining sin shall be purged from us. When the intellect shall be perfectly elevated to know God. When we shall no longer be conflicted, but wholly and happily submitted to the lover of our souls for all time. When the purpose of our existence will be realized without end. and complete happiness. Absolute blessedness, perfect beatitude shall be ours forevermore without end and unopposed until that blessed day. The collective voice of the bride throughout the entire world beseeches the Lord with this simple prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But she is only able to pray such a prayer because she is granted the gift of all gifts. The gift that cannot be matched. It is the gift of the indwelling presence of the divine person's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We confess that we are indwelt by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here John refers to the Spirit as the one who speaks on behalf of the church. The Spirit speaks through us. The Lord Jesus makes it clear that the Holy Spirit has been given to us for teaching and guiding. John 14. The Holy Spirit works within the church as her helper. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit helps our weaknesses. Follow me now. And the specific weakness that we are most frequently confronted with, the specific weakness that we are most often in need of, or that is most often revealed, is this. Direction in prayer. The Spirit is our helper, John 14. Paul says that the Spirit specifically helps us when we pray, because we are weak people. And one of the ways that we reveal our weakness is that when we come to God in prayer, we don't know what we should say. So when you pray, it is God's Spirit working within you, leading you and guiding you as to what is proper. What is good for your soul? What is also that which is according to God's word and will? So that when we pray, God is praying through us. So that we pray properly. What should we pray? What should we pray? How should we pray? If God is guiding our mind, our heart, our tongue, He is guiding us to, to pray according to His divine purposes. Were it not for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, of the Divine Persons leading us, we would be lost as to what to say. We would be lost as to what to pray, what to request. But He helps us in our weaknesses. And listen, what is the most consistent prayer that the that the the Spirit helps the church to pray in the last hour? John tells us. The prayer that we are led to pray, the prayer that we need the most help to pray, is this. Come, Lord Jesus, Mm -hmm. come. Let me ask you, when was the last time in your prayer that your prayer request was, dear God, come? The Holy Spirit leads the church to pray for the return of our Savior and Lord. The prayer for Christ's return should be the request that is most often spoken on our lips. I confess that going through this verse, I was convicted. It's not the request that I most often pray. Is it yours? There are many things that we are called to pray for on earth. Christ says in Matthew 5 that the Spirit leads his people to pray for their enemies. Let's pause. Matthew chapter 9, the Spirit leads his people to pray for believers to take the gospel into the world. We do that. But the prayer that should ever be on the lips of those who have been indwelt by the divine persons... It's for his name to be hallowed with and for his kingdom to come. Among the prayers for daily provisions, which we know we do. God, uh, thank you for providing for food for us. And please give us more food. Uh, among the prayers for God's help to lead us away from tip- the path of temptation. God, help that temptation, that sin to go away. Uh, among the prayer for God, give me strength today to work. Give me wisdom when I'm at work. All of those things are good. But the prayer that should be at the top of our list of the things that we pray for should be this. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Dear Lord, please come today. Please come right now. The Spirit leads the church to pray for the return of Christ. And again, it is a sober moment of introspection. Is the prayer for the return of Christ anywhere on our prayer itinerary? When you bow your hearts in prayer, is the request for the return of Christ, is it a longing desire in your soul? Do you want Him to come? Do you want Him to return? We might say, well, yes, I do. When do you pray for? I'm asking me that. As I'm writing this sermon, when it's to be a longing in my soul, how often do I pray for it if it is such a longing? The Lord breathes into the soul of John through his hand. And on the last page of Holy Scripture, it says this, that his true bride will long, a bride longing for her groom to come that your ears will be ever listening for his arrival those of you who who um, have certain you know certain sounds when when your husband or wife is home is is coming home maybe the garage door opens and you go dad's here or uh, my husband is here my beloved has arrived uh, maybe there's a certain key sound that that is at the door you, my wife is here so the bride Her eyes will ever be upon the clouds. Looking just above the mountains. Longing for the return of her groom. Her longing is described for us in the Song of Songs. Chapter 2, verse 8. Listen, she says. My beloved, explanation points. My beloved, behold, he is coming. Climbing on mountains and leaping on hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a strong stag. Behold, he is standing behind the wall. He is looking through the windows. He is peering through the lattice. It is a picture of of a bride who has been waiting for her groom. And then she finally sees him and he is galloping over the hills. He's inching closer and closer to her until finally he's looking through the window and he's seeing her there. And there is nothing but joy within her. Let me ask you, saints. Is that the kind of anticipation that we have for the return of Christ? Is that the kind of prayer and longing that we have for Christ to return? The bride, as we read this, she's like, she's on the edge of her seat. She can't wait. It is though life around her is taking place as it normally does, and she is participating in life, but she's doing so in a different manner. While others are looking left to right walking, she's walking forward, but with her eyes upward. She knows at any moment her beloved will come galloping over the hips as one who has come to rescue. And he will gather her to himself and bring her home. Amen. 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 Dear ones, are our lives invested in preparing for the return of Christ? In such a way that we would fervently pray for His return. My, my, the whole of my being is invested in this. All of what I desire and live for is invested in this. Are we living that way? Are we turning away from the allurements of the world because we have, we have been given the Spirit who gives us divine joy and heavenly peace in such a way that nothing can contend with it? The world is calling you, saints. Satan is calling you through his, through his, his kingdom and through his harlot to invest in them. Not to invest in God and his kingdom. The world is calling you to invest in gold. Invest in silver. Invest in precious metals. The world is calling you to invest in stocks and bonds. The world is calling you to devote or invest your time, your energy, your mental and emotional self Into the investments of, of things and, and hobbies and places and people. And when we give ourselves wholesale to those things, Revelation 18 says that when Babylon falls, when the harlot is destroyed, the kings of the earth and those who committed acts of adultery, of immorality, who live sensuously with her, they, they, here's what they do. When they invest in all of those things that I just mentioned, they weep. At the end, those who who give themselves wholesale, invest themselves in all of those things, they weep in the end. Why? They lament in the end. When they see the smoke of her destruction rising. Revelation 18.11, the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. What cargoes, the, the ones that would bring gold and silver, the ones that were traveling and bringing precious stones and pearls and fine linen, listen, listen to this list, um, purple and silk scarlet, every kind of wood, uh, every kind of article of ivory, uh, everything made of costly wood, bronze and iron. John's going to go down the list. All the, He's essentially going to name every category of thing, generalize every category of thing that we invest in all the way down to human beings. Which makes the point of this. Everything that is honored over and above God will be removed. Amen. Amen. Everything that we invest in, everything that we long for more than God will be removed. Every person that we long for, every person that we desire more than God, it will be removed. Name whatever. You fill in the blank. I- You fill in the blank. Whatever that is, it will be removed. Which is another moment for us to examine our investments. Investments are meant for a return. Mm -hmm. We invest not because we care so much about the thing per se, but we care about what we think it will, we, 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 we care about the return we think it will give us. Are we investing too much here or so much here that our desire for the return of Christ and to bring all of those things that we are investing to, to an end, is is in fact the last thing on our mind. It's the furthest thing from our hearts. Why would it be the furthest thing? We would say, because I've invested so much here. You mean that if all of the things that I've invested in, that when Christ comes, those, all of those things that I'm investing are just gonna be kaput, they're gonna go away? Well then no, I, I, I would rather not have Him come right away then, because I put too much into this. What are you investing in? Because if your investment is in Christ and His kingdom, then your prayer will be come, Lord Jesus come, because you will know or realize you'll get the return of your investment. If it's in Christ, that's what I'm investing in. So come on. If they said gold or whatever stock or whatever, it just hit, you might call and say, sell now. Let me get it all. That's what I've been waiting for. But if your investment is in Christ, then when Christ returns, your automatic response is going to be, yes, finally. It's what I... The return on my investment has finally come. Matthew chapter 25, our Lord told two parables, one of 10 virgins and one of three men who, give, who were given talents in both of the parables. Men and women are charged with wisdom, wisdom to be ready for the return of the bridegroom who is also their master. The point is that we must not only be expectantly prepared as the wise virgins who kept their oil, kept oil in their lamps so that when the bridegroom returns at midnight, they were ready, they were wise, but also wise investing in the kingdom so that when the master returns and asks you to give an account of what you've done, of who, of what you've invested in, you will not say, I wasted it. I wasted the investment. I wasted what you gave me and didn't wisely invest in you and in your kingdom. To those, he will say, throw that wicked, lazy servant out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you long for the return of Christ? Do you pray for his return? And and, and if we're not, we must ask ourselves, why aren't I? What is the cause for my neglecting that which I say I am investing my whole life in? Even if it means that everything I'm giving myself to right now outside of Christ comes to an end. Will you be content with saying, yes, Lord Jesus, bring it to an end. Bring it to an end, and let me pause as I say that, and not just because you're suffering. We don't want to go, Lord, bring it to an end, I'm tired of suffering. Because not all of us are doing too bad. Some of us are saying, my life is not so bad. My house is not as big as I'd like it to be. The car is not as nice as I'd like it to be. But I'm not doing too shabby. Dear ones, let me not be unclear. There are many goods in our lives, aren't there? Many goods in our basket. Remember that? We love many ways and many things. God has given us good things in our lives. He's shown us his goodness by allowing us to, Pastor Isaiah said this uh, past week or so, live on this earth, breathe his air, enjoy his food. I don't know if you if you're like me, but my, my family is they all have different likes. My daughter likes something, my sons likes something, my wife likes something, I like something. We'll be sitting at the table and all of us have five different meals. Because she won't eat that, he won't eat that, so I gotta make my wife and I are making five different that we are able to sit down at a table and all of us eat a variety of food. We're like a, a hometown buffet in the home sometimes. God is good. God is good. He provides this variety. We pray that all the time. We take trips to places that are enjoyable. We have unique opportunities. God is good. There are good things that we enjoy. But they're accidental joys, aren't they? Amen. Accidental goodnesses. Meaning, they give happiness, but they're not a source of happiness. Amen. If you are indwelt by the triune God, then you know that there is one true source of good and joy and happiness. One joy, one good, one happiness that is exceedingly infinitely better than all the other goods that we enjoy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know this. And there will be a time when we perfectly, without opposition, oppose His goodness. And it will uh, enjoy His goodness, I should say. And it will produce in us perfect happiness, Blessed is for all time. Therefore, if that is true, if, if He is the one source of good that we enjoy, then we would have no issue praying, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Amen. Come today. Come now. That's right. We don't pray, and I'm going to say this later, we, we don't pray, Lord Jesus, come because things are bad. We pray, Lord Jesus, come because we love him. Amen. And I love him even more than the goods that I have in my life. Yeah. I don't want to say, Lord, come in my suffering, because not all of us are suffering very much. Come because I love you. Amen. Come because I want to see your face. I've invested all of who I am into you. Amen. Amen. Yes. Saints, Amen. we are not ashamed to plead and to entreat the Savior to return, are we? Amen. I'm going to say it again. We can call for Christ to come because we're not ashamed. Amen. We are not ashamed. Come, Lord Jesus, there will be many who, when Christ returns, they will be ashamed. On that glorious day when Christ returns, there will be some who would rather have mountains and rocks fall on them in attempts to hide them from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They will say, the great day of their wrath has come. Who was able to stand? They will want to hide in shame when Christ returns. Like our first parents who attempted to hide their shame shame. When the day of judgment came, because they knew that no one is able to justify themselves before the one who is holy, holy, holy. Those who dwell on the earth, they will have no words of defense, no explanation that will suffice. There will be no excuse that is good enough. Their sin will be laid bare before the one who is enthroned, and the verdict upon them will be cast them into outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. They don't want Christ to return. Because they are ashamed. Or they will be ashamed. The saints, however, we know that our sin has been removed by Christ. There is no shame upon our soul. They know that the perfect work of Christ has accomplished our justification. So the message of the gospel is enjoyable to them. The, The end of the gospel, the return of Christ, is something we long for. We're not ashamed. When Christ returns, we won't hide. We will run to him in joy. Amen. When Christ returns, we won't want mountains or rocks to fall on us. We will shout out to the rock of our salvation. Thank you, Lord. You have come and we receive you gladly in our hearts. Amen. This has happened because of the gospel. That's right. And it is a simple message, isn't it? The gospel. I say to my daughter, say La, all the time. Believe in the Lord Jesus and what? And you will be saved. It's so simple that a four-year-old can understand it. Believe in Christ and you will be saved. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. The simplicity of the good news, it reveals the wisdom of God. That salvation is not a matter of being born of the blo- of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of men, But as a matter of being born of God. Amen. The good news of the gospel is that you are not saved because of your family. Not the family that you've been born into not because of the bloodline from which you come from and not because of the autonomous effort that one puts forth in some the good news of the gospel is that salvation is not of man but it is of god in order for one to be saved they must be born again and this new birth is by the power of god so that man might not boast in himself but boast in god salvation is the free gift of god faith faith is the gift of god that cannot be earned nor pay back. It is the free gift offered to all those whom God has loved. These they trust, and you know this, not in their own righteousness, but in the righteousness of God. He lived in perfect obedience to the Father. He is the divine exemplar. He is the blessed man of Psalm 1, whose delight is in the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. He is truly God, truly man. He is the eternal word who assumed our flesh. So that we might be healed. He is the one. Who has taken our wounds. By his stripes. His sacrificial death. And we trust not in ourselves. But in Christ. It's a simple message. We have no shame. Because when Christ returns. We will all stand before the throne of God. Not justifying ourselves. But being justified. By the blood of Christ. In whom we stand. Therefore we can pray without shame. When you leave today, I pray that many of you will start to pray, come, Lord Jesus. But when you do, you will not say, but I'm such a sinner. I don't know if I'm ready. Stop that. If you are in Christ, if your faith is truly in Christ, then pray, come, Lord Jesus. I know that my salvation is in you, that my assurance is in you. Not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done. Our dear Ralph and God bless him called me this past week in great pain. One might say in grave pain. And here's what he wanted to say to me. Pastor, I just don't know that if I die, I will see him face to face. And again, my response to him was the simplicity of the gospel. Brother, do you believe in Christ? Yes, I do. Brother, do you believe that Christ is the second person of the Trinity? God in flesh? Yes, I do. Brother, do you believe that there is nothing that you can do to justify yourself, but that Christ has done it all? Yes, I do. Then, dear one, you are saved. You are saved. And when you leave this earth, you will see his blessed face. Rejoice, dear brother. Be of good cheer, dear brother. And on the other end of the phone, thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's the simple message of the gospel. And there will be no shame upon that man or any man or woman who places their faith in Christ when it comes time to see their maker. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Amen. We pray Amen. because he has granted us grace to share in his perfect righteousness. And we stand before the judgment seat of God and we will not have our sins recounted. No. No. We shall stand before the the, the judgment seat of God and we shall have all of our good deeds rewarded. What is simply this enduring and overcoming you share in the master's inheritance. Therefore, we can say along with our brother, Paul, Romans one 16, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes say that to yourselves when you are in your bed and you are fearing whether or not you are enough when you are in your homes or walking down the street and you are not sure if Christ were to turn today if you would be ready say to yourself Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ it is the power of God unto salvation John says it's why we can say Let the one who hears come. Let the one who hears say come. Upon believing in Christ, there is birth in us a desire to be with Christ. The church through the Spirit says come and come quickly. Come today. Come now. We know that we will not be put to shame. But that we will be rewarded for our overcoming. Reward is the hope of heaven, isn't it? We've been given faith. We now have a hope. It is the effect of faith. Hope is the effect of faith. It's the longing of the new heart and new mind. Hope is this reward. The reward is not streets of gold. Not gates of pearl. Not an ability, as one minister said, to instantly transport transport from one part of the galaxy to to another. That's not the reward of heaven. God himself is the reward of heaven. God has given you faith to hope in Him and for what He will give you in the end and what He has promised to give you is Himself. Amen. The hope of heaven, the reward of heaven is God Himself. The joy of heaven is God Himself. The happiness of heaven is God Himself. The goodness that you will know for all time is God Himself. The reward of heaven And the new creation is eternally belonging to the one who has loved you before you were ever a thought in in the mind of your parents. Spirit leads the church to pray, Christ, come now. These are praying because of faith they've had, because of hope they're resting upon that Christ will descend just as he ascended in power and bring his people to be home with him. They shall be perfected in glory, sharing in the righteousness of Christ, beholding the face of God over all time, and their faith will turn to sight. Their hope will be realized, and the love that they have had for their Savior Will be perfectly enjoyed for all time. It's the reward of heaven. We love because he first loved us. Why does the church pray for the return of Christ? As I said earlier, ultimately not because of suffering. Not because you've, we've grown weary of the world and its wickedness. The world can be a very depressing thing to look at, can it? You look around at the world and it can be very depressing. It can be very discouraging. We don't pray Christ's return because I'm so discouraged right now. It's also not because of rampant hypocrisy. Not because of a host of woes that could be listed for the rest of this holy day, which I will not. We pray for the return of Christ. Because we love him who first loved us. We pray for his return. Very simply, because we love Him and we just want to see Him. Let me say to you this, some of us long for heaven and the new creation because we say, I want to see, I'll put myself here, I want to see my dad again. I, I want to see my grandmother again. And we want to see them because we love them so. Your desire to see Christ should far and away exceed your love for them and your desire to see them. It should be greater in Christ. Will you see them? Yes. Will you rejoice when you see them? Yes. But they won't be the source of your joy. They would not be there if it were not for Christ. You would not be there if it were not for Christ. Therefore, we celebrate Christ. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, close this first long point, and then second short point. May God give us greater desire to pray for his return. Myself included, especially me. I think about the times that I've led our family in prayer. Very rarely have I prayed, come Lord Jesus, come. May God allow us, the grace, to loosen our grip on the things of this world and reach out to that which is That's which, that which will give us true and lasting absolute happiness, God himself. May we pray fervently, consistently and longingly. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Secondly, and a short, the short point. First, there is the call from from earth, and now there is the call from heaven. Verse 17. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. Dear saints, the Lord is kind. He is merciful. Here at the very end of this letter, there is one last appeal that will stand until our beloved Christ returns. It is the appeal to those who are thirsty to come and take freely from the water of life who is God himself. Saints of God, He is not willing that any should perish. He is not willing that any who is, who belongs to Him, shall suffer. He pursues the lost until they are found. He leaves the 99 to pursue the one in order to bring them home. After addressing what those who have the Spirit will pray on earth in faith, hope, and love, our Lord from heaven calls out for all of those who are thirsty to come. The church Praise for Christ to come, and Christ prays for the church to come. He is the great high priest who after praying for his disciples also prayed in John 17, 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, and then put yourself here, but for those who also believe in me through their word, you and me, that they may be one, even As you, Father, and me, and I in you, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. We pray for Christ. Come, Lord Jesus. And Christ prays for all of those whom he has died for. Come, little ones. Come unto me. Let me gather you as a hen under her wings. Christ is presently interceding for the unbeliever. He is praying that they will be brought into unity, perfect unity with him, his father and spirit. He is praying that their blind eyes will be opened, that their hard hearts will be replaced with hearts of flesh. And let me make this very clear. The Lord Jesus is praying that all those that the father has given to him will come to him. They will be joined to the church. And there is no prayer. That are risen, victorious, and ascended Lord Jesus prays and is not answered by the Father. If Christ is praying that his people will come, best believe they will come. The church calls out to God from earth and Christ is continuing to call out his people from heaven. He made his appeal while on earth. He said to the fisherman Simon and his brother uh, Andrew, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He said to Matthew when he was sitting at his tax collector's booth, come and follow me. He said to Nathaniel when he marveled that Christ revealed that he had seen him sitting under a fig tree, he said to him, come and you will see greater things. He said to Zacchaeus who climbed a tree just so that he might, I, I imagine Zacchaeus was my height, just so that he might get a glimpse of Christ. He says to Zacchaeus, come down. I must dine at your house tonight. And later he would declare, salvation has come to this man's house. Christ said to the crowds, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And again, Christ calls out to the crowd, whosoever thirsts, let him come and drink. Our Lord said to to, to Peter in the midst of the storm, come, join me on the waters, walk by faith. He, He said to those who would follow him, come. Take up your cross and follow me. Those who want to save their lives, lives will lose it. But those who lose their lives for my sake will find it and hear now. At the very end of the faithful and true word of God, Christ makes one last appeal. Not from earth this time, this time from heaven. And it will continue to stand until Christ returns. Let the one who is thirsty, the one who wants to take from the water of life, let. He calls out to the rich and he calls out to the poor. Come. He calls out to the strong and he calls out to the weak. Come. He calls out to the young and he calls out to the old. Come. He calls out to the lowly and he calls out to the broken hearted. Come. He calls out to the slave man and to the free man. Come. He calls to the Jew and to the Gentile. Come and freely take the water of life. He calls to all those he has loved. And who has been given who have been given spiritual ears to hear come. Song of Songs 5 2. The bride says, He knocks. Mm. And on the other side of the door says, Open for me, my sister, my love. My dove, my perfect one. Husbands, you need to do that when you go into the your the master bedroom tonight. Open that to your knock on the door and say to your wife, open for me, my, my sister, my love. My perfect one. You will see a smile on her face when that door opens. You will see joy. And they will answer. They will not say, No, I'm not answer- I'm not going to open the door. You know, you wives sometimes do, I'm not opening the door. Our Lord will say, our, our the bride will run to the door. All those whom Christ has called will leap for joy to that door. And they will join the prayer of the saints who called out to the Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And on that great day, we will know the joy of the bride who sings in the song of songs as we close. My beloved responded and said to me, arise, my darling. The groom says to her, my beautiful one. And come along. Imagine our Lord taking us. And here's what he says as we are with him. Winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines. And the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. The fig tree has ripened its figs, and the vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Take us home. And let us be there with you for all time. Let us pray. Praise God.